Warning, this episode contains strong language that could be offensive to young or sensitive listeners. From WOSU Public Media, this is The Power Grab, how dark money and dirty politics led to the biggest bribery scandal in Ohio history. I'm your host, Renee Fox. In our last episode, we explored the role of lobbyist Neil Clark in the House Bill 6 scheme. He brought decades of political know-how and acted as the proxy for Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder. His secretly recorded conversations secured indictments against him, Householder, and three others. Clark had suspicions he was being set up, but that didn't stop him from feeding undercover FBI agents insider details about the conspiracy. Investigators started piecing together how money changed hands to fund householders' rise to power and First Energy's bailout. It took investigators a while to trace that cash. First Energy pushed millions of dollars through different channels to fund their cause. If more than $60 million in spending seems like outsized political influence, or like it crossed the threshold into some illegal amount, it didn't. First Energy could have spent more to get what they wanted. The thing that turned it from political influence to a racketeering conspiracy, what made it a bribe, was the collusion, the quid pro quo, the promise of one thing for another. Otherwise, corporate cash from big donors like First Energy is a well-known tool for nearly every politician out there. The money can flow without donors being reported to the public. It's just a matter of filtering it through the right type of tax-free nonprofit and feigning ignorance that the politician has control over it. Episode 4, Dark Money. The 2010 landmark Supreme Court decision, Citizens United, is often cited for the outsized influence of corporate political spending. The Supreme Court delivered a landmark decision on campaign finance today. Opening floodgates for companies and unions to spend all the money they want attacking political candidates. By a five to four vote, the sharply divided justices declared that the law violates the First Amendment's guarantee of free speech for all, even corporations. And that speech, in the form of political donations, can't be limited, as long as the money's not going directly to someone's campaign. Citizens United does require donors to be identified and allows political action committees to be regulated through the Federal Elections Commission. But the political action committees, also known as super PACs, are not allowed to work directly with a candidate's campaign. These super PACs have gotten a lot of press in recent years, but there is another way corporations can exercise their influence. And this way lets them do it covertly. They call them social welfare organizations in the tax code, 501c4s, often called a C4 for short. 501c4 is a political entity that can take non-disclosed corporate contributions, and they can spend it on both campaigns and issues. 
That's Neil Clark explaining to undercover FBI agents how 501c4s work. With secret donations, the money comes in with no strings attached, avoiding election campaign finance rules as they masquerade as organizations promoting social welfare. It's secret. A C4 is secret. Nobody knows. The money goes to speaker's account. It is uh, controlled by his people. and one of his people. Yeah. And, it, and nobody, it's, it's not recorded. A C4 is non-recorded. It's perfectly legal for donors to dump millions into a C4. But their primary purpose is not supposed to be political. They're supposed to advocate for the public or community without generating private benefits or profits. A traditional use includes organizing a volunteer fire department or a group to protect the rights of tenants in a community. But political observers say they're no longer functioning the way they should. Former U.S. Attorney David DeVillers. You know, it's, it's not what, what it's meant to be. It's been perverted by the people and the code, and, and IRS has kind of abdicated its, its position as far as its role in, in guarding against abuses. DeVillers said the organizations are doing whatever they want and operating in political ways when they aren't supposed to. And in most cases, there aren't any consequences. The other part of it, it's like a re- it's a it's a high yield, low risk thing to do, too. Right. So let's say I have a C4. Let's say I'm illegally using a C4. I'm, I'm it's more than 49 percent going to supporting or attacking a candidate. And I do it, you know, 100 percent is going to it. And the IRS does look at it and says, wait a second, you're violating the C4. It's not a crime. The worst thing that can happen to you is that you uh, they take away your C4, the tax exempt status, and they can maybe shut it down. Guess what? Pay the 50 bucks and have some other nominee open up a new one. In addition to no limits in spending, the secret part means the owners of the C4 never have to reveal their donors. So the public never gets to know when businesses or individuals are funding a certain issue or candidate. It wasn't always like that. Under the Trump administration in 2018, the IRS eliminated a reporting requirement for donations over $5,000 to C4s. And before Citizens United, C4s that were involved in political activity couldn't take cash from corporations. But some of the rules guiding the C4s were left in place. A C4 isn't supposed to spend more than half of its funds on political activities or candidates. They're required to promise to use half of the funds on promoting social welfare issues. Clark was pretty familiar with how they worked. You have to have somebody that can put the money into the C4, and then the, what do you, the question is then what do you do with the C4? Do you help people get elected, or do you do it for your own issues? Under federal law, it has to be 50-50. 50 for campaigns, 50 for issues. It's like all this money that we had just spent for um, First Energy's behalf now goes on the equation of education. So all now they can give $17 million in political contributions, and now it's, it's under federal law standards, they're equal. What Clark said there, at that point in time, if First Energy had poured $17 million into C4s to educate the public with ads promoting the bailout, then they could spend an equal amount on candidates. But if they didn't want to, 
Clark said they'd just create a shell for-profit corporation to receive the money and spend it to get around those requirements, too. State senators and reps in both parties have 501c4s for their caucuses. Being willing to spend a lot endears corporations to ambitious politicians and kills any political will to change the rules. If it's somebody that's got long-term, you know, a big utility company, somebody that's got a lot of money that's going to be around forever. <coughs> like that, that first, whatever yeah, that's First energy. First so energy. We, we call first energy the bank because they can do, they can do, they can fund these things for 20 years yeah. if they wanted to. Nobody wants to blow them off. Nobody's going to blow them off because they, 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 they got too much money, got too much power. Right. Congress right. ain't going to change that. Mm-hmm. Why would they? They fucking eat. Yeah, they need they it. Fucking They're fucking But... Here's where Team Householder went wrong. Any candidate that is being supported by a C4 can't coordinate with it. That's a similarity the C4 has with the political action committees that were sorted out in the Citizens United case. But it's an unspoken, well-kept secret that politicians often have their own C4s and they're monitoring who's donating and controlling how that cash is spent. No one's supposed to control it, no like politician, and they all control it. I mean, every politician, well, a lot of politicians, you know, have C4s. They're just just known that they control. And it's known, like, if you want to um, influence that person, you throw money into those C4s. And they'll, they'll know who donated to it. You know, they don't have to list them, but they'll know. And, and you'll somehow get in their good graces. Um, and no one will know that you did it. Catherine Turser is the executive director of Democracy Watchdog Common Cause Ohio. She said this knowledge is well known in the state house. All of the folks that are um, kind of in those inner circles knows what's going on with fundraising, and knows what's happening. Like they know, oh, this is this is their C four, this is their pack. Where we, as the public and the constituents, understand there's something going on, but we can't actually follow the money. Householder got caught coordinating his C4 with Clark and other lobbyists. But that's only after the feds spent years figuring it out with subpoenas, tax records, undercover agents, and phone taps. Terser said it shouldn't take a federal case to know who is spending money to influence our elections. Let's face it, it sh- you shouldn't actually have to have an FBI investigation to root out misdeeds, that there should be the ability for, you know, community groups to do some research and follow the money. And there should be the ability for reporters to be able to figure out there's a problem before they spin completely out of control. Here, undercover FBI agents ask Clark to explain how they can use so much money with so little oversight. Like if you're not on it, not that you do anything wrong, but my point is, how do you guys audit like you're spending? Do you have to report it? I'm, I'm the, that's why I'm the overseer. I'm the guy that that oversees how the expenditures. So the fox takes care of the Well, but, 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 not that you do anything wrong, but no, but, but you've got. No, I'm the speaker's appointed guy to do that. Okay. When the fox is in charge of the hen house, it's easy to get away with murder. The main C4 this scheme used was called Generation Now, but it wasn't the only one. It was just insane. Like they would put these, I'm like, show me what you're talking about. Like, so how does it go to First Energy to 
Hostler's Enterprise. And, you know, it went through like one C4 to another C4 to another C4, then to, then, then to generation now. And then like to buy ads, it didn't go right from generation now to buying ads. It went to another C4 and, and it took forever to get those because once you, once you have a dark money group, a C4, you, they don't, you don't have the donors. You can't go to somewhere and say, oh, give me a list of see your list of donors or even subpoena it. There are other ways to obscure the trail and avoid the already minimal reporting requirements. The people in charge of C4s can run them for a year and then shut them down. Then use the remaining funds to donate to other nonprofits or for-profits. That adds layers of confusion, and it hides who's behind the efforts. The organizations use basic names that imply they're driven by patriotism or strong work ethic. So they don't have the public pressure to be truthful. They don't have a requirement in the law to be truthful. And they also don't have pressure to live up to their better angels. And so there's some just egregious ads that were run in opposition to the referendum. They shuttered our factories. Now they're coming for our energy jobs. The Chinese government is quietly invading our America. Don't sign the petition allowing China to control Ohio's power. DeViller said he's never heard a reasonable justification for 501c4s. 501c4s are just a weird animal, right? And and I still don't, someone still needs to explain to me the, the utility in them. I get the idea of even anonymous donations for we the people, right? But, you know, why are you including unions and corporations, you know, into that? Why are you, what, not only why are you including it, why are you making it tax exempt? Why are we, why are we encouraging it? Because that's exactly what we're doing. We, we created it. It's going to stay there until, you know, it's the political will to do something about it. And, you know, all the Republicans and Democrats, you know, from the, you know, the, in the entire nation, they all benefit from these C4s. So they're not going to do anything about it. Terser said that if there was real oversight over the C4s, the HB6 scheme wouldn't have grown so large. This was preventable. So do I think that folks are going to break the rules that are in place? Sometimes, yes, they're going to do that. But when you basically create a climate of secrecy and there's nothing to hold back, bad behavior, well, then even pretty honest folks are not going to be worried about what they do. They're going to make choices that are really not in the best interest of their constituents. DeVillers credits whistleblowers for bringing the case to light. But you can't always rely on someone to rat the team out. So what exactly made householders dance with dark money into a crime when so many politicians use C4s? It's the fact that there was a barter in exchange. It's really kind of nebulous whether it's a quid pro quo or not. There's implicit versus explicit, depending on the on the bribe, right? So if it's if it's going right to someone's own pack, it has to be an explicit quid pro quo. If it's going into their pockets, or if it's going to super PACs or or C4s, then it can be implicit quid pro quo. It's a bit lesser of a of a burden. But when does it become I'm bribing somebody? 
because buying influence isn't a crime this isn't a federal crime so you know if you you want to give someone your you know a, polit- a governor you know your condo and let them use it and because you're trying to buy influence and and access that's not illegal it's when you say if you pass this legislation you get to stay in my condo you know it's it's when it gets to the point of you do this i give you this it becomes a crime Terser said those loose, nebulous regulations exist for a reason. When you create a, a climate of secrecy, you know, what's, you know, business as usual and what is actually breaking the law and quid pro quo or bribery. And so, you know, we, we have to look at this trial as part of a system and how we have created, and by this I should say, elected officials who are responsible for the rules here have created a system essentially that can make it look like legalized bribery. The IRS description claims the C4s exist for the promotion of social welfare. Their guidelines state social welfare does not include work on political campaigns on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for public office. But it says they can engage in some political activities, as long as that's not the primary activity. But that's not what happened in Householder's case. And that's pretty typical. The IRS stopped making sure C4s were following the rules when the agency was accused of unfairly targeting conservative Tea Party 501c4s back during the Obama administration. First, the latest on the IRS targeting the president's political opponents for special scrutiny. The Obama regime is using government to investigate people. There were stern words at the White House today over IRS targeting of Tea Party and other conservative groups. If you've got the IRS operating in anything less than a neutral and nonpartisan way, uh, then that is outrageous. It is contrary to our traditions. They were. I'm not defending them. They they totally did that. But it doesn't mean you then just say, say okay, then we're not even going to. It's immature, you know. You're, we're not even going to regulate these anymore. Terser said the IRS is so afraid of looking political, it isn't doing its job. There really are very specific requirements that that we have. So why isn't the IRS actually reining in the kind of crazy dark money spending? Well, well, they have had their hands tied for a number of years and are not doing the kinds of investigations that they might. That means no one is checking to make sure these 501c4s are spending half their funds on social issues like they're supposed to. The HB6 gambit exposed itself more than quieter hustles because the big spending and public outreach drew a lot of attention. You know that old saying, you know, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. The the folks that have been operating as business and as usual in this dark money, you know, atmosphere, well, they weren't, you know, they weren't uh, drawing the attention of the FBI. It was the more kind of extravagant, outrageous, pugnacious behavior of Larry Householder and his team. Without transparency and true guards against coordination between candidates, 501c4s, and super PACs, Terser said dark money is going to continue to flow. 
And we should care about that because we have campaign contribution limits to root out quid pro quo. In other words, the reason that there are limits on what we can give to candidates is we don't want our candidates and elected officials to be bought and paid for. We don't want money to unduly influence their decision making. We want them to, in fact, be committed to the good of all Ohioans. She said dark money damages the ability of everyday people to reach their representatives in meaningful ways. Prompt disclosure can provide shareholders and citizens with the information they need to hold corporations and elected officials accountable. Some would disagree. Householder himself speculated that few pay close attention to political scandals anymore. Here, he explains it to Clark and undercover agents. Well, we're from the Watergate era. Uh For every single thing you said and every single thing you did, it would sway the electorate. This generation, it is all about this bullshit. And nothing's true. They don't believe any of this shit. And they don't believe anything on that goddamn newspaper either. They don't believe they it. Don't. They don't. That's, see, so, it doesn't matter. I walked down the, I walked you down know when the Trump set up there and he said, I could shoot somebody and no one would give a shit. It's true. 100% true. It's true. People don't. You, you and I continue to live in this world of, oh, oh my God, day, he day, just day, said day. fart. He just said fart. But Tercer said there is a lot of political will from people who aren't in political office to tighten up the laws. And the Supreme Court has ruled it is constitutional to require thorough reports of campaign spending. That means that both Congress and the state legislature can pass and should pass good disclosure so that we can follow the money, so that we can better understand who is funding these political advertisements so that they are not operating in secret. Terser worries the state's lawmakers aren't learning more from the weaknesses and loopholes the householder case brought to light. You know, there were recordings, there were emails, we have pictures. Our state legislature and the public now truly understand how secret money impacts legislating and then end end up affecting our daily lives. You know, we're we're just going to be ripped off again if we don't actually do something about the dark money. She said changing the laws to increase transparency should be a natural reaction after what the HB6 scandal revealed. It's such a practical solution. And there have been plenty of opportunities for the state legislature to step up. And they haven't done anything. Right. Um, And wringing your hands and acting as if Larry Householder was just a bad apple, and as long as they got rid of the bad apple, it wouldn't corrupt the rest of the barrel, is ridiculous. There was so much media surrounding HB6 
that people were connecting the dots that First Energy was involved. But Terser said the connections weren't something that could easily be proven by journalists, especially considering how long and how hard it was for federal investigators to piece the puzzle together. There's no reason that we shouldn't have good lobbyist disclosure so that when the public is being lobbied, when a corporation is spending money to influence us, that 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 should actually be disclosed. Neil Clark himself thought the laws needed to be changed to add more transparency. He understood the system well and made sure none of the donations his clients doled out made it onto campaign finance reports. He only wanted them to donate to C4s. Giving, giving money is like putting a fucking bullseye in your forehead and say, kill me. Kill me. I, I said you. giving money. I no, just don't want to do it. I said C4s. I said C4s. That's what you did. So how's that work? Clark called public donations that have to be reported hard dollars. He labeled anonymous dollars spent behind the scenes soft dollars. They all go to feed the same machine, but soft dollars are preferred by big spenders. Politicians have a never-ending desire for money. Sure. And you yeah. would be throwing good money after that. At least, yeah. at least the C4 is corporate dollars that you don't have to actually take out of your own personal income. Whereas the card dollars, political contributions, comes out of your own pocket. He described why politicians prefer them in his self-published tell-all. A voice actor reads it. The reasons candidates like soft money is it helps them legally get around restrictions on corporate giving as well as campaign finance limits. It's the only way to raise corporate dollars. Some donors are willing to contribute more than the maximum to the candidate and so will gladly give the additional money to a soft dollar entity. Clark said they also shield the politicians from backlash from the more ruthless negative ads. His book states enterprising lawyers and political consultants came up with the idea of funneling money through C4s. In Clark's example, he asks you to imagine a campaign ad against Bernie Sanders and Medicare for All. How much less effective would the ad be if it had to reveal that it was paid for with funds given by a major insurance company? The public might infer they have selfish reasons for fighting comprehensive health care. Instead, that messaging can hide behind an entity with some innocuous name, like Ohio for Health. Even Clark thought changes to campaign finance laws gave up transparency in exchange for limits or caps. Because back then, when they go to dinner, <coughs> before they did term limits and they did campaign finance reform, whether it was significant people who are still alive that you know very well that had dinner with the governor or the candidate and they give them $100,000. Whether it was First Energy, name a name, they give them $100,000. And, and it was legit, right in hard dollars into their campaign. So they would do that three, four times a year and get this kind of money. Because it was all about, you took the money, it was just reported. It reported on your campaign report. You got $100,000 from X person. It was unlimited. It was unlimited. That's him talking about it at a secretly recorded dinner with FBI agents, Householder, and State Representative Jay Edwards, who chimes in at the end. Clark thought capping donations in the 1990s just sent donors underground. It didn't stop them from making big donations. 
but it did stop them from reporting it and revealing the influence. My attitude was, is it not better for you to know exactly who's giving you the money? If someone wants to give you $100,000, let the press go ask questions. Why do they give you $100,000? Right? Now they're just doing it behind, behind the scenes. No, now they're doing C4s. Mm-hmm. And now you're never going to find out. So you, you press, did that because you decided to, make, to create this world of none of your fucking business. You decided to make it none of your fucking business. <clears throat> and that's something that is just, that's what really turned this place into the wrong attitude. Here's Clark and Householder agreeing with the idea, while Edwards is more doubtful. I think actually we could pass campaign finance reforms right now today that would take the limits off. We should. Term limits. How much you do? No, no, not term limits. Campaign dollars. Dollar limits. How much you do? Simple. Do it as a bill. Right. I would argue you've already got it. Yeah, it's not. Wouldn't you rather have full disclosure? You wouldn't make about the. I'd rather I'd rather have here. You know what I'd rather have in in the public environment. I'd rather have when you go out to dinner or you take a trip. Instead of pretending that you're in the you're in the Ohio Senate, instead of pretending that we're going to go to Key West to have a fundraiser, let's just call it what it is. Let's call a spade a spade. You're going down there for a free fucking trip, and you're getting a five thousand dollar benefit on it. Clark said dropping the caps on regular donations wouldn't end the use of C4s but he thought it could make them more transparent if they traded the limits for more stringent reporting requirements. But C4s aren't going to go away if you, do, if, you do, if you do hard dollar changes. But what I think what hard dollar changes brings, whether for expenditures or for campaigns. It brings light. It brings, it brings light back in and it says to people, quit busting my balls about a $75. Don't bust my balls. The lack of transparency in state and federal campaign finance laws means voters don't fully understand the forces influencing elected officials. Without built-in checks and balances, politicians ask us to trust them at face value. So even when lawmakers and aspiring lawmakers break the rules, they're likely to get away with it. It takes a federal case to prove that type of collusion or quid pro quo, and probably someone willing to come forward and blow the whistle. And when so many of our politicians rely on this lack of transparency, they lack incentive to turn the focus on themselves and push for reform. Governor Mike DeWine's office didn't accept an offer to participate in this podcast, but the FBI tapes caught Clark talking about DeWine's relationship to big donors. It's clearly a governor that plays to special interests, particularly people that he's had long relationships with. He's clearly influenced. Don't, I don't want to say he's a pay-to-play guy, okay? But he's clearly influenced by his friends who have money. Mm-hmm. And his friends don't like to ask him for stuff because they don't want to make it look like So they work around it in such a way that um, they get what they want without interfering with their relationship, but it's, it's kind of fucked up. It's so willing it looks fucked up. Well, is that where you were telling Clark said DeWine's practice of playing it safe carried into the HB6 scandal. He said DeWine accepted money from First Energy, but didn't go to bat for them when pushing HB6 became an uphill battle. I have to tell you that on HB6, the governor took that about $3 million from First Energy. For what? $3 million from 
the utility company for his soft dollar seaboard. Did he? Yeah. Like those undercover FBI agents said while talking to Clark about it. Congress ain't gonna change that. Mm-hmm. Why would they? They fucking need it. Yeah, they need they it. Fucking need it. Next week on The Power Grab, market manipulation. We've heard how First Energy funneled money to the cause while Larry Householder and his team of lobbyists spent it. But there's another side to this case. There are a network of monopolies in Ohio, and these state-sanctioned monopolies govern the way Ohioans get electricity and heat in their homes. Companies like First Energy don't just need influence over state lawmakers. The unelected utility regulators in Ohio make decisions that cost or generate fortunes for utility companies. And the results of those decisions are clear to see on our monthly electric bills. How do we efficiently balance the interests of the the electric utilities that have a fiduciary financial responsibility to their shareholders, their company, uh, and consumers who want reliable, safe, and affordable electricity. How do you balance those two? And there's a variety of competing ideas on how to do that. The Power Grab is a production of WOSU Public Media and part of the NPR Network. It's written and hosted by me, Renee Fox. The show is produced and edited by Michael DeBonis. Audio engineering by Dalton Jones. Additional voice work from Kevin Petrilla. Help us spread the word about the show. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple and Spotify or wherever you listen. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Did you know you are physically adapting to all your swiping, scrolling, and tapping? We're changing our bodies and what they're able to do through our habits. NPR's Body Electric, a special interactive series investigating how to fix the relationship between our tech and our health. Listen in the TED Radio Hour feed wherever you get your podcasts.